0: Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Good evening. Welcome and congratulations on a riveting, very entertaining movie. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Could you tell us how to feel far away from I only do what he does. I do exactly what he does as well. He keeps telling me what to do. And then
1: I do what I'm told.
0: Well, this is a film about directing and acting, and we see that the
2: director usually wins,
0: right?
1: Not in this case, believe me.
2: (laughs) No, it's also about a director who's a better actor than the boys who are acting. Rubbish, (laughs) of course, rubbish. I don't. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Tell us about um, how this
0: project came about, and it's an interesting pedigree because we think it's it's um, in a way it's a new version adaptation of a play. It's, it seems like it's going to be a remake of a film, but but um, Harold Pinter, of course, is he, he's the, author the here. yeah. The,
1: yeah. The, the, as you may have seen from the credits, uh, one of the producers is Jude Law, and he was the one who had the idea of uh, making a new version and uh, it was his idea to uh, bring on board uh, a man he thought he'd never get to do it but uh, uh, Nobel Prize winning Harold Pinter uh, very kindly agreed to do it. Harold Pinter was an actor uh, before he became a writer and he appeared in, as an actor in many many thrillers and I think although he told me during this uh, I don't do plot I don't do plot but he loves inheriting plot so he took the theatrical mechanics of the brilliant original from from Anthony Schaffer and then he you know put his own very very particular spin on it and then the second inspired well the third inspired idea from Jude first the project second Harold Pinter and the third in- inspired idea was to uh, you know to ask uh, Michael you might want to take up the story from
2: them yeah J- Jude asked me uh, if I do uh, this uh, this script and because it was by Harold Pinter I, I said yes because I would never have remade uh, the the Anthony Schaefer script because I think what Joe Mankiewicz and Larry and and Schaefer and I did with the first one was good enough. There was really no point in remaking it. Where were you going to go with it? But what happened was that Jude took this to Harold, who had never seen the film or the play because Harold lives in a very separate world. I mean, he probably wasn't aware of any of what this was. He just got a script, and a a stage play. Jude Jude took the stage play and said, could you write uh, um, a screenplay of this? And he looked at it and he said, well, I'll I'll take the plot. I like the plot. But then I'll write a completely new screenplay. And so what you just saw was not a remake of Sleuth because there isn't a single line of the original movie in this screenplay. It's completely different. and, and the, at, Also, there are other things which, which are there. The sort of homoerotic thing at the end was never in the other one. And
1: the, the other thing um, uh, that, that had a nice sort of circularity about it, and you please jump in, Michael, it was that uh, some years ago, Michael appeared as an the, actor. Oh, in that's right, yeah. Do, do tell Michael.
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I knew Harold. He, he was an actor called David Barron, and, and he told me he was going to write plays under his own real name and i said what's your real name he said my real name's harold pinter and he eventually wrote a one-act play called the room and i did that at the royal court and that was another reason i wanted to do this script because i did his very first play anything that he wrote was the room and i did it in the royal court and then for 50 years he wrote all this great stuff and I was never offered any again. <laughs> you know, I felt like saying, I made you, I could break you, but no- <laughs> nobody ever offered me anything. And, I, and, and and so when finally Jude came, um, and he said, first of all, he said, how do you feel about remaking Sleuth? Well, I, I didn't want to be rude. So I said, that sounds like a good idea, to, uh, Jude. You know. <laughs> We were having dinner, and he was near the end of the meal. I thought, I can hold him off for dessert, and I'll be out of here. <laughs> and, and, and then I said, but, you know, that script by Anthony Shaver was pretty good. I, well, he said, I have a script by Harold Pinter. And I went, ah, oh, that's different, <laughs> which is why I'm here tonight.
0: And, well, you were you made... 90 films in between, in, during those 50 years so it's possible you might have been busy when Harold Pinter I, I,
2: yeah, there was a time when Harold might have offered me something but I was always busy yeah yeah
0: <laughs> so what is it t- talk a bit about working with Pinter's dialogue since we were talking about Harold Pinter so much but it's so spare mm. and there's there's so much there um, mm. with, with, with such simplicity Pinter's
2: from an actor's point of view a Pinter's dialogue you have to be like a straight man with a comedian If you see a comedy duo, the straight man must stay straight. Otherwise, it's not funny. Because he's the contrast for the comedian who is doing things which are not what we would normally do. With Pinter, you have to stay absolutely straight and natural. And you say these things as though you were speaking ordinary things. And everybody goes, oh my God, what's happening? he never took any notice of that he said that it went right by and so you get to a situation in him where someone will come into a room in you I've seen it many times and say good evening and everybody looks at each other and goes what does he mean by that (laughs) and so you must you mustn't try to be sinister you mustn't try to be funny you must be real and that also applies to 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 movie comedy you know, I, I, I very often, I, I flick through the television with, you know, so you've not got the sound on, you know, and I can see movies and people are going, and I that's a comedy. I shouldn't be able to see that. They should lo- look like real people. And I know that that moment, it's not only a comedy, it's a very bad one. <laughs> because I can see it without the dialogue, that people are not acting like real human beings. The basic is, stay straight and Harold will take care of you.
0: What was the production like? I, I, I know that the
2: came, all of it
0: the original sleuth was was a longer film, but also a longer production. Uh, you had just come off of making uh, the magic flute, a much bigger film. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, the uh, we took about a quarter of the time to shoot the film, but the the difference that that, that Michael took for the uh, for the one in 1972. But uh, we rehearsed for a very long time. We had a, a read through with. Uh, all four of us uh, in um, Twickenham Films Studios where we shot the uh, the movie in an empty sound stage where we showed up and uh, Michael said, oh, I remember this place. Uh, I did Alfie here. I did Zulu here. Harold Pinter came in. He said, oh, I like this place. I did The Servant here. I did The Accident. Uh, I did uh, Quiller Memorandum. And Jude and I looked at each other and said... Uh, Well, I did a couple of voiceovers here last week, but um, (laughs) you might have heard them. Uh, We 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 started there, and then we over the course of the and that was the first uh, process of as Shakespeare would say, hearing the play. We heard it out loud for the first time, and we we got a sense that it could be very funny, uh, very darkly funny. Um, and then we decided that we would, uh, the boys very patiently, put up with me meeting with them every two or three weeks. We'd have lunch together. We'd talk about um, the, the covers for the books that Michael's character would write, the outside of the house, every, everything, piece of information that helped to have the boys be very prepared when they arrived. Uh, then we had a week's rehearsal ahead, a month ahead of shooting and some more rehearsal and a week ahead of uh, actual shooting we rehearsed. Uh, but then we actually shot it in consecutive order for everything absolutely day one was scene one all the way through to the end uh, over a period of 23 days so it was a 23-day
2: shoot um sometimes uh, the original was 16 weeks yeah (laughs) this was four weeks and we sometimes we trying to find out think what we did for the other 12 (laughs) weeks larry and i what the hell were we doing yeah you know, because it was so fast wasn 't it yeah, it?
1: it was, but and sometimes the the lads were would it was you know eight, nine pages of dialogue a day, multi coverage and things. we have two cameras at all times um, but but that intensity was very important, I think uh, the rehearsal got us very, very ready. we felt very prepared but but also partly to to do exactly what uh, michael 's talking about, which he 's an undisputed master and, and jude also terrific at, at producing. Uh, a kind of spontaneous quality on the day uh, the curious paradox when it's all about preparation up to that point but the point of the preparation is to be entirely free and relaxed and natural and responsive and and behavioral on the day not acting
2: <laughs> it's a contradiction really because you spend a great deal of work and time trying to look like you're not doing anything mm-hmm. you know you just a, it's a, but my I, I come from Stanislavski uh, uh, the school of, of drama and the basis of that is is the rehearsal is the work and the performance is the relaxation. And, and so, you know, by the time I've said quite a simple sentence on screen, I've already said it at home a thousand times because it has to become so second nature. You are a real, real human being.
1: One of the interesting things about this was actually watching that technique in Michael and Jude. Uh, endless endless rehearsal some of which was to do with us trying to find the kind of camera angles and the sort of visual vocabulary that would allow from the beginning of the picture the, the audience to be unsettled, to be away from them, to be shooting through glasses where a, uh, a glass of whiskey is already poured by someone who hasn't yet asked the question of what drink you would like or had the answer right. uh, so that th- in this film the first close-up doesn't occur until about 12 minutes in and it's when Michael says uh, I shall paraphrase I understand you're sleeping with my wife, or words to that effect. Um, And it's the first time we get to uh, a close-up, finding that through rehearsal, but also watching repetition. But but rehearsal that was to do with putting a flame under the character to try and you know sort of have the marination process uh, uh, happen. So that um, I just remember on on, on day one, it it just took on a, a, a new quality and. Although Michael and Jude got on like a house on fire, they'd not worked together before, and shooting in chronological order meant that in the first few days, which represented the first few minutes of the film, there was a, there, the beginnings of their getting to know each other very well was there working for the, for the picture. And, uh, and then you really saw um, the, the rehearsal you know, suddenly become this sort of very, very natural and spontaneous uh, technique.
0: And the idea of relaxation, I think, is so important. What, what I love about the performance is that you, you let the audience do a lot of work. You're not projecting
2: too much, and we're seeing this... Well, no, it, you, you should... My, my view of a, a movie acting is you should be a real person. If you're you sitting watching this movie, and you turn to your partner, or someone sitting next to you, and you said, isn't that Michael Caine a good actor? Then I have failed. <laughs> you shouldn't be seeing Michael Caine, a good actor. You should be seeing Andrew White. And I should hold your attention to the end. If you want to say I'm a good actor at the end, that's okay. I yeah, please know. do that. <laughs> <laughs> but not
1: during. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have to say, I'll contradict you, Michael. I, I rarely do, but I will. The, I remember on the day, uh, a favourite moment of mine when people ask, uh, oh, you know, uh, a sort of theatre piece being transferred to the screen and, and how do you make that cinematic? It's, you could argue it's two men in a room arguing about a woman who's not there, how... Cinematic is that well. I, I think it can be very cinematic and or, or some some pretty interesting hybrid um, But a, a cinematic moment for me is watching his nibs here uh, When he fires the gun at the end of the first act at uh, Jude law We hold Michael in a close-up a profile close-up as he watches what he's just shot at there's no music It's just us watching a very massive close-up in profile of Michael Caine looking And I think it's one of the most riveting things I've ever seen it's 24 seconds long i remember saying to you on the day don't i mean until your instinct absolutely tells you to don't walk away and i also saw in his eyes a real relish i could see a movie actor who really master of his craft knew a great moment in the drama and he appears to do nothing but it's so utterly riveting to me and and uh, uh, that
2: seemed to me one of the things that, that actually that, well, makes that's it a movie the thing you see it appears to do nothing people, he appears real to real people don't do anything do they they they, they talk to each other and they listen, and that's what you want to get, that feeling that the, the tree outside the window is real, so you'd better be real. The minute you start to act, you're in, in, uh, in the toilet, or you get great reviews from bad critics. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: the, the interesting complication about this play and this material is that the, both of the characters are acting all the time, and, and so you're, as an audience... Oh,
2: the, the, the whole thing is a performance, because he, he set everything up, so what it is, you're actually watching a writer who is an amateur actor giving a performance for another guy who is also an amateur actor and making the most <laughs> of it, you know? Yeah. He's a re- these are real people. They're not professional actors. Yeah. That's what you have to... We're getting too far into the double thing. You're just... A... <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm beginning to get like Pid explaining yeah. stuff <laughs>
0: like that. So, the... Directing style is very playful. I mean, you kind of announced that right at the beginning in terms of camera angles and what you're doing. Could you talk about sort of the atmosphere of doing that on the set? Was it very thought out? Was there spontaneity in how you well, shot? You, ended that?
1: Well, you, I mean, you're always hope, hoping to leave a bit of room for the great new idea on the day, but the, because of the tight shooting schedule I talked about, we had to be... Very prepared, but, but prepared through rehearsal that tried to accommodate everything that the boys were after, everything that Harold was after, but also trying to uh, offer a visual um, landscape that, that let the audience be part of the game. I mentioned the sort of whiskey glass earlier on, but also, for instance, right at the front where a surveillance camera, top shot, in black and white uh, in the daytime uh, sees this first meeting, the doorbell rings and uh, Jude talks to Michael but we only see a hand come up, Michael's arm comes up he will not move to the other character and I always had this image of Michael wearing the house as if like wearing it like a backpack, he was part of the walls that this house was an extension of his personality both mm-hmm. in that shot uh, and also in uh, it, once we got inside, that the uh, all, all the art that you see on the walls, the the uh, sort of wire man sculptures by Anthony Gormley, a very famous uh, British uh, uh, sculptor, uh, all, all, all of that was to, to, to try and create this kind of gladiatorial environment in which uh, the the actors could be very real, but but create an
2: atmosphere where the audience were in the game. Well, that's a, That was another thing with the set. In the, in, the, in the first movie, you, you've got a, a lovely old English country house, and you go inside, you've got a lovely old English interior with bits and bobs and lovely things and cushions and everything. In this one, you've got a lovely old English country house. You go in, you've got glass, steel, and marble. You know, you're now in Pinter country. <laughs> and, what the, uh, and, and Pinter, uh, Kenny could tell you it better than me, but Pinter only uh, uh, mentioned it was very spare in, in his script inside it was, it was wooden glass but it was it was Kenneth and, the, and, and the, the designer who actually made another character of the house and a rather sinister one at that you know which, which was great it one, was definitely one of the things uh, to, to do with uh,
1: trying to make, the, make the, the cinema of it was to create the house as another character and to create the woman we don't see as a very, very vivid um, extra character as well. And oh. you know, of course, Pinter appears in the film. Uh, for those who are not aware of uh, what he looks like, Harold Pinter is the character in the uh, television extract from one of Andrew's books who suddenly appears to say, shut up, shut up, and then slaps the other actor who is me. <laughs> uh, and slapped me regularly over a series of long takes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what can you tell us about the woman that we don't see? Do you do the American style of acting where you, you have um, you know, her whole biography imagined? And,
2: and oh, you, you, you would have a backstory for your own character. Yeah. I always thought it was Nicole Kidman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why not?
2: Why not? Yeah, I was going to ask her to do yeah. it, <laughs> but we cut her out. So <laughs> exactly. The um, technology,
0: because the house is a character in the film, and the technology. And I guess what what was it like playing that? Well, playing the, te-
2: ca- the technology showed what a control freak this guy was, mm-hmm. you know. But also, that's another difference with with the, with the first movie, in as much as none of those things were invented in nineteen seventy two when we did that movie. And if you think in terms of the the way that. If you'd seen the movie, the, the character that Larry played, if you brought a computer to him, he would—he would be a person who would say, oh, "I don't bring that near me. I—I'm I, not technical. I can't do that at all." And so it was that kind of thing which was a difference. And while I'm on that subject, but there was also another thing, which there was a tremendous class difference in—in—in uh, in, in the first one. There was a great deal to do with uh, uh, the separation of the class and him looking down his nose at someone. Who was working class, and that was not only on, on the screen in that one, it was in real life because Larry was a lord, Lord Olivier. And he actually, I'd never met him before we, we started rehearsal, and before I did, he wrote me a letter saying, You may be wondering how to address me when we meet. <laughs> I hadn't been wondering that, but I thought, This guy. <laughs> But after receiving that <laughs> letter it never occurred you to me yeah. you know, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, and he said well, from the moment we meet you must call me Larry which, it, which he always was but I mean that was you know, it's a tremendous class thing to, which Americans might not sort of understand even that someone would be given to thinking that I wouldn't know but, it, but if you cut to our one from a point of view of class I am Sir Michael Caine like he was a lord but I, if, I wouldn't think of writing a letter to you <laughs> saying, you may be wondering how to address me. <laughs> I might have got a rather nasty answer. You know? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It, it, it just, everything had changed so much. And this, this uh, adaptation by, by Harold is so much of this time, really is. You've talked a
0: lot about the difference between this and the 1972 film, but did it mean anything to you that you were, that you were now playing the role in a way that Lawrence Olivier played and that you were playing against?
2: Uh, yeah, I, it was great, very important to me because right from the start when I did the first one, I thought that the, uh, Olivier's part was better than mine. Mm. And now I was playing it, so I was fine. I was very happy. <laughs> <interested. laughs> but Larry had a problem in rehearsals because he, he'd, he'd just been fired from the National Theatre.
0: Hmm.
2: And was having a nervous breakdown, you know, and so we, we, we screwed up a lot of rehearsals and then, then he got into trouble and then suddenly one day he said to me, I can't act with my own face. This is what he said, to him, I can't act with my own face. And the next day he came in with a matchbox and he got the matchbox and opened the matchbox and he got out a little moustache and he put it on. And that's the moustache you see on him in the movie. And suddenly he was Andrew White. And it was quite amazing. It was sort of like some kind of miracle thing. And he went bang, and there he was. And I thought to myself, my God, he's got it. I'm in trouble. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is there an equivalent for you, something that you find will just give you the character, uh, that, that will let you inhabit the character, A physical thing? Or?
2: I was thinking <coughs> of how I should dress in this film. And it was a rehearsal to which Harold Pinter. And Harold was sitting there in a black shirt, black tie, and a black suit. And I went, that's me. <laughs> and that was me. It's, it's someone who is well studied without wanting to draw attention to himself. Unless you were shrewd enough to really look. And you go, uh-oh, there's a guy in his own home waiting to meet me. And he's got a black suit, a black tie, and a black shirt on is there something coming? (laughs) And there was.
0: Since you brought it up and it's so apparent in the film, the the homoerotic element and that relationship is critical to this film and and it um, creates a kind of vulnerability in in your characters. can you talk about
2: playing that? Harold wrote that uh, and and it wasn't in the first film. And and I I was wondering how far to take this. And I, I, I slightly... Let's see a little bit about wh- where I should go with this. And, and I, I told Kenny about my fears. And the next day, he brought in a, a real uh, psychological tract or treatise or whatever it was on, on, a, on a psychological dish condition called morbid jealousy. And it, it went through uh, to murder. And then those who couldn't murder were trying to think of another way to humiliate the wife. Were to be to engage in and, and they quoted two or three cases of men who were not homosexuals either of them engaging in, in a final homosexual act in order to, to, to put the woman right down and, and I thought that was and Harold hadn't read that tract. he just embedded that
1: mm, yeah.
2: so uh, but if, if you look at it in in the first one, as we got on, Larry got camper and camper you know so he sort of more his hand movements were more feminine and it sort of come, came out sort of naturally when we were doing when he was doing things like I think you're very nice you're my type of person you know and and if you get into that kind of relationship it's very very deep the hatred and, and the things that they did to each other you know shooting him and putting the jewels on me and everything and the humiliation of it they're really into some rock bottom stuff is going on here you know
1: that kind of theme of... of uh, it seems that, uh, Harold is very, very interested in this uh, story about humiliation. I mean, the, yeah. the, the humiliation in Act 1 and Act 2 that finally results in one set all um, between the two men and then uh, this p- potential humiliation that may be uh, the result of a genuine kind of uh, homosexual disposition in this case uh, in inviting... Uh, Jude's character to live with him or is it potentially the the forerunner of some yet greater humiliation or is it a humiliation simply if he takes the bait of of Maggie Uh, but this it's one of the distinguishing features of this version uh, Harold's fascination with the idea of the desire in competition perhaps particularly between men once the apparent sophistication has been stripped away. You know, first it's about loving the woman, then it's about possessing the woman, then it's about winning a fight, and then it seems to be about destroying or humiliating another human being when led astray by the irrational behaviour that is produced in the wake of sexual jealousy or sexual humiliation. But humiliation seems to be a a very key part of what fascinates him about the story.
0: And this just something, I know we just have a few minutes left, and I, I just wanted to ask maybe to wrap up for both of you. is uh, This material is so much about, as I said before, about acting and writing, directing. You've done all three, and you've acted, and as, as I said, around 100 films. What did doing this material, what did doing sleuth teach you or make you think about these things? Well I, well, I
1: think you're right. I mean, it's a very, very Shakespearean theme, this idea of what is real, what is seeming, what, what is acting, and, and, uh, and is it required by human beings in order to function through life? And, and during the course of this film, it seems layers are stripped off until perhaps you might argue what is real for the Andrew character is what he says at the end of the first act. She's my wife. I'm her husband. You can't have her... And what Jude says at the end of the second act when he gets his revenge and says, you see, it was all a game. I thought you'd enjoy it. It was all a game. Are these the real moments or is the real moment in Act 3? But along the way, certainly from my point of view as a director, working with two um, excellent actors and in this case a sort of master of, of, of the art to watch them uh, peel those layers away, and be vulnerable and be passionate and be witty, be throwaway, be still, be uh, direct, be quick, be slow, be ultra sensitive to this very very finely wrought language that both as a director, it was an honor to be part of trying to help guide it in some way, but actually selfishly in with my other hat on uh, to be able to watch with this material, these people work uh, as actors meant that I felt I, I was involved in a sort of acting master class. So I was just in receipt of it at very close quarters. So it's been a, a complete and utter privilege in that way.
2: For me, I, a long time ago, I read by a famous writer whose name escapes me. Uh, he said, never compete with your predecessors and your contemporaries. Compete with yourself. And this, for me, was something that was so deep and complex that I could really... It's very difficult competing with yourself. It's so hard to do things better than you did the last time. And this was an opportunity to do something as, as, as well as I had ever done anything. Whether I did that, I don't know, but it was an incredible challenge for me, fighting against everything that I'd done before. It was tremendously satisfying to do something like that, the whole film was an ad- adrenaline rush but the exhaustion at the end of it was extraordinary N- neither Jude, Kent or I had anything left to give I think I went home and I don't think I spoke to anybody for two days because I didn't have anything to say and, and I, I was quite emotionally exhausted and I'd, I'd given myself, I thought, a very good run for my money Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.